Um, hi, church. I hope you are well. Uh, I miss you. I hope that you are um, persevering in the faith. Um, my name is Grace. For those of you I have not yet met, I'm one of the interns here at WBC. Uh, and usually I would be attending the 6 p.m. service. Uh, today's reading comes from Isaiah chapter 61. So if you want to um, turn to that now, otherwise the words will be up on the screen behind me. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Well, as we come to chapter 61 in Isaiah today, uh, let's pray and ask that God will help us as we consider this passage together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you, in your mercy, sent your Son, the Lord Jesus. And as we reflect on his mission as we consider this passage in Isaiah 61 today, that you might uh, grant us understanding of that mission and our part in it, that we might respond and enjoy the blessings that you promise. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, at the start of Mission Impossible 2, the movie, Anthony Hopkins says to Tom Cruise, who plays Agent Ethan Hunt, Good morning, Mr. Hunt. Sorry that I barged in on your vacation. Well, Mr. Hunt, I don't know quite where to begin. 
And then he outlines the mission that Ethan Hunt is being offered. I don't think I can do it, Hunt replies. You mean it will be difficult? Very. Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. It's classic testosterone-laden banter, and of course it's meant to highlight how unlikely it is that this mission will be achieved. The message itself may self-destruct in five seconds, but what is conveyed is that the mission itself is unlikely to last much longer. Now, as we read chapter 61 of Isaiah today, we have the servant of the Lord's mission. And this mission seems just as improbable. This servant who would suffer and lay down his life, as we learned back in Isaiah 53, can apparently bind up the brokenhearted, free captives and proclaim the Lord's favour as a result of his suffering. And that's just the first couple of verses. The list of things that the servant is meant to achieve just seems so all-encompassing and world-changing that it's hard to grasp the breadth of the mission. So the big question that we're going to consider from Isaiah 61 today is this. What is the servant of the Lord's mission? If this chapter outlines his purpose, what is the servant of the Lord's mission? That brings us to the first answer. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So notice again what is stated in verses 1 to 3. The spirit of the Lord, the sovereign Lord, is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair well here a first person voice returns the servant of the lord is speaking again and he is the agent of transformation i mean these first three verses in particular they read like an exhaustive menu of transformations using language that takes us back to the comfort god announced in chapter 40 for his exiled people. But the essence of this transformation is a day of favour, which picks up an Old Testament word to do with acceptable sacrifices. It's already been used in Isaiah to describe the day when the servant acts, in chapter 49, but also the unexpected acceptance of Gentile offerings in chapter 56. But this favour that will be proclaimed is... The year of the Lord's favour. And this echoes the generosity of the year of Jubilee that is spoken of in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 25 outlines that this year of Jubilee was every 50th year. And everyone would return to their family property and live with their clan. And so if a Jew had been forced to sell their land because of debts, well, they got it back in the 50th year. If Jews were forced to sell themselves as laborers or hired workers because of their debts, then they were released from their oppression in the 50th year. 
And then in verses 4 to 6, the emphasis falls on the privileges that await God's people. The Israelites will rebuild Jerusalem with the help of others and foreigners will care for their flocks and work their fields. God's people will be called priests. They will be recognized as those who mediate God and experience blessing as the wealth of the nations pours into Zion. Now, in the first instance, we are reading about the Babylonian exile. This had begun for them with their release from captivity and their return to the promised land. And so they were already receiving comfort and healing for their broken hearts and lives. And the ancient walls were now being rebuilt again. But there's also something far greater being indicated. You know, the, the pure extent of the transformations the servant will bring about seem just impossibly vast. And all of this does beg the question, who is this servant? Well, as we've seen several times in this series already, Jesus is the promised servant who will fulfill this amazing picture of a fresh start and ongoing transformation. In fact, Jesus takes up these very words at the start of his earthly ministry. We read in Luke 4, verses 16 to 19. He went to Nazareth. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Well, after reading Isaiah 61, Jesus announces that he fulfills it in verse 21. And as a result, this passage is rightly seen to be the blueprint for his mission. And notice that his task involved a message, and that message was for the poor, we're told. Now, the poor certainly included those in relative poverty. Uh, but the use of that term in Luke and indeed throughout the Old Testament is much broader than that. You know, in the Old Testament, the term often included those who were afflicted, uh, those who were open to God because of their humble circumstances. They, they realized their need. And to such people, Jesus proclaimed release from oppression and recovery of sight. Now, the background to this imagery comes from the final phrase, the year of the Lord's favour, or what was often termed the year of Jubilee, in which all debts were forgiven. So you see, just as the year of Jubilee initiated a new start for people, so Jesus proclaimed a new start through his offer of divine deliverance. And this year of the Lord's favour will continue, indeed, until Christ's second coming. But having announced himself as the deliverer of Isaiah 61 in Luke 4, to the amazement of all the locals who were gathered, things actually soon turned sour for Jesus. You might have expected that they would welcome him as the hometown hero. But to those in Nazareth, he just remained the son of Joseph. We know where he comes from. 
You see, dishonor from those who know you most can be hard for us. I'm a bit of a cricket tragic, and although these days I only watch games, there was a time when I was playing cricket every Saturday. My greatest bowling moment as a leg spinner was a match in the 1990s when I got six wickets and only had three runs hit off me. Now, this basically won the match for us, and it included dismissing my former high school teacher. I can tell you that was the highlight. I mean, this was Shane Warne-like, without the blonde mop of hair and the generous physique that comes with it. But despite what was a heroic feat in my mind, the response of my teammates was to tell me what a fluke artist I was and almost resent the fact that I had got any wickets. Now, their assessment was probably correct, and I didn't deserve to be given any greater honour, but it was a bit crushing at that time. Well... Unlike my unimportant slight, the prejudice against Jesus blinded many Jews to his glory in his day in the first century. Not that Jesus was crushed by their rejection. He knew that many would not heed his message of good news. What he sought was genuine followers who would put their trust in him as the one who brought deliverance. And so a choice was before them. To reject Jesus was to lose an opportunity for a fresh start with God. And more than that, a complete transformation. Well, what about you? Have you recognized that Jesus is the servant king, the one who came to forgive your debt before God? Or, like many in his hometown of Nazareth, have you prejudged Jesus and decided that you have no need of a saviour. You see, our debt before God can be forgiven today and we can be released from our darkness through his salvation. And so a decision is before us too. Let me encourage you to investigate further, to receive Jesus as your rescuer, the one who can put things right, who can transform your life completely. Which brings me to a second answer to what the servant of the Lord's mission is. Secondly, it was to confirm a permanent reversal for God's people. To confirm a permanent reversal for God's people. Notice again what is stated in verses 7 to 9. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of grace you will rejoice in the inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. You see, the voice changes in this section. And now God the Father speaks about his people, helping us to see his heart for them. You know, verse 7 speaks of God's intent to treat his people uh, with the honor of a firstborn son who receives a double portion of the inheritance. This was how things worked in Jewish society. 
and this is an amazing reversal of the severe punishment for sin that had been meted out in the exile. You may remember that back in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 2, where we started our series, uh, we read, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And so the double punishment is referring to the exile, all the that they experienced as they went to Babylon. But now in Isaiah 61, they're to receive a double portion of inheritance. It's the extra blessing of a firstborn. And so here we have this wonderful reversal taking place, whereby their shame and their disgrace is replaced by everlasting joy. Now this can only happen because of the servant's suffering and his atoning death, which ultimately deals with sin. And that was detailed for us back in chapter 53. You see, God's grace, which is seen in this reversal, can only occur because his justice also has been satisfied. Now that's why Isaiah can move suddenly from the gracious reversal of verse 7 to the justice of verse 8. In verse 8, God explains that he hates robbery and wrongdoing. And he loves justice. And so his grace in binding up the brokenhearted and, and sending the exiles home is also an expression of that justice. And this is founded on God's character and his promise. You know, the second part of verse 8 tells us of his faithfulness to his people that will now lead to an eternal covenant or agreement and the reward that flows from that. And so, again, instead of being a scorned nation, they'll now be viewed as a blessed nation by everyone in verse 9. What an amazing turnaround, an amazing reversal of circumstances. Well, it was 10 minutes past midnight in Chile. The scene was the Atacama Desert, a place so desolate and devoid of life that it is used to acclimatize astronauts before they go on space missions. The first miner appeared safely above the ground on the 13th of October after 69 days trapped in the bowels of the earth. Now, this mining accident had occurred on the 5th of August 2010 when part of the San Jose copper gold mine in northern Chile collapsed, leaving 33 men trapped 700 metres below the ground. But in what was an amazing reversal, when many expected their cave to be their grave, all 33 were rescued and brought to the surface. And after the last trapped miner was winched to the surface, the rescue workers held up a large sign stating, Mission Accomplished Chile, to the estimated 1 billion people watching on live television around the world. Can you imagine? These men had gone from being dead men to celebrities being offered interviews and book deals. What a radical reversal. You see, if you have trusted in God's servant king, Jesus, who paid for your sin, then you have seen an astonishing reversal in your own life. And yet because of God's everlasting covenant, his new covenant through Jesus, you will also see the fuller, more glorious expression of this reversal in heaven. I mean, unimportant sinners 
like you and I, who love God, will be co-heirs and rulers with their brother and saviour, Jesus Christ in heaven. Which brings us to a third answer to what the servant of the Lord's mission is. Thirdly, to cause God's people to rejoice in their salvation. To cause God's people to rejoice in their salvation. Notice what is stated in verses 10 and 11. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the soil makes the young plant come up and a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. This section is filled with passion. You know, it represents the response of God's people to the work of the Lord's servant Jesus. It's really a song of praise by someone who is just full of wonder and gratitude for what God has done. And for those who respond, their lives will now be lived for God. They have been clothed, we're told, with God's righteousness. Now, we know from the New Testament that we are imputed or credited with Christ's righteousness. That is, his perfection is credited to us simply by us placing our faith in him as our representative, our substitute, who could perfectly obey the Father's word. And so the life and death and resurrection of Christ, which brings us salvation and adorns us with his righteousness, is not something that is hidden away in verse 11 that people failed to notice. This unfolded, we're told, before all the nations. And certainly the gospel message ever since has certainly been declared throughout the world. And the transformation of believers can be observed in their joy and their thankfulness to God. Well, returning to the amazing mine rescue in Chile, there was an acknowledgement that God had determined this. And this brought great joy and praise to God throughout the nation. You know, in a strongly Christian state like Chile, God was credited with the reversal. Unlike, say, in the rescue of the two Australian miners on Anzac Day in 2006 at Beaconsfield. You see, when 44-year-old Esteban Rojas stepped out of the rescue capsule, he dropped to his knees in prayer. The youngest miner, 19-year-old Jimmy Sanchez, wrote in a message that there were really 34 people, not 33, in the mine because God has never left us down here. Likewise, Chileans as a whole embraced the mine rescue as a miracle from God. Even before the rescue began, the Chilean president, Sebastian Panera, said, When the first miner emerges safe and sound, I hope that all the bells of all the churches of Chile ring out forcefully with joy and hope. You see, praise and thanksgiving are just a natural response to God's undeserved favor. His grace, especially grace that we've personally experienced. So I guess my question today is, have you grasped what the servant of the Lord's mission is and the fact that it includes you? Now, Jesus came to proclaim God's favor to you, that you can be released from your debt of sin, 
And he offers a permanent deal, a permanent reversal of the effects of sin in our lives. Not just temporary relief. You know, God's promise of a fresh start with him continues from now on into eternity. And so if you have come to know his undeserved favor, his grace, then you'll have great joy and you'll naturally want to thank and praise him. As Isaiah writes in verse 10, you will delight in the Lord. Your soul will rejoice. Now, such delight and joy is not a, a passing moment of happiness. It's not the joy that this world so often speaks about. It's a much deeper contentment and thankfulness which exists regardless of the circumstances that we might face in this life. Because of Jesus and his completed message, his completed mission, it simply cannot be lost. Will you join me in prayer? Let's give thanks. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your wonderful work in the sending of your Son, that through this servant of yours, a suffering servant, but one also who was king, we have a substitute who can perfectly obey your word, who lives the life that we cannot, and then dies in our place, taking the punishment that we deserve, and so offers us life, forgiveness now, and life eternal. Lord, we thank you for your amazing, wonderful grace to us, this undeserved favor. Lord, as this year of the Lord's favor, as it was termed, continues on until Jesus returns, help us to take hold of it, to realize that today is the day of salvation, that your favor continues to be held out so that we might be forgiven, that we might know a permanent reversal, those who have gone from death to life, from the despair and hopelessness of this world to joy and thanksgiving for all that you've done for us. Uh, Lord, we pray that you might help us, if we know Christ, to be marked by such joy and thanksgiving. And if we've not come to that point yet of placing our trust in your Son, Lord, we ask that you might help us to see your wonderful offer of salvation and that you might cause us to respond and give our lives over to you and to follow your Son who laid down his life for us. We ask it in his name. Amen.